today. If you came and it's your first time visiting, you're getting like the best day ever. Yesterday was a great day out. Today, we'll just make it the best day ever. Um, one of the things that we're walking through in the month of November as a church family uh, is a time as we walk into Thanksgiving and thinking about thankfulness, we walk into Christmas and we start thinking about relationships. Um, we set aside November as a month where we talk and we share about how God is making a difference, not just inside of these walls, but outside of these walls. And our missions team has some great partners that we partner with who love Jesus desperately, who share in that desire and vision for the kingdom of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed and known in the heart of every man, woman, and child in that. And so each week throughout this month, uh, we're going to have a time right before the sermon where we spend a few minutes and just get a personal touch to hear from each of those ministry partners. After worship is over, uh, on this side, it's just we've got to make it a little bigger area for those of you guys. We, we, we have a circle, so we're going to be on this side today. But we've got a booth set up talking about that ministry. And every week, if you want to find out more and go deeper in or know how you can serve, that's a fantastic way to do that. And so today, uh, I want to introduce you uh, one of our oldest uh, mission partners. And I don't mean age, Martin. I just mean in tenure. Uh, Martin Dell with the um, Montrose we reach. Would you welcome Martin with me this morning? Well done. Good to see you, man. Martin and I got to touch base in the hall for like 36 seconds before worship began. And in that, um, Martin has been a part of First Baptist Story longer than I have. Um, you guys have been partnering uh, for years in that. And so, Martin, would you tell the church a little bit about uh, Montrose Street Reach and how you guys got connected, how God put that on your heart? Well, good morning. Thanks, worship team. That was awesome. Thanks to you to, with the kids. Amazing. Touch my heart. Baptisms. Nothing quite like that, right? Amen. Um, well, uh, we got involved with Macho Street Reach, my wife and I, who's sitting back here. Hey, baby. Uh, she's put up with me for 39 years. That's pretty cool. Uh, so we got started, like our call to the homeless population in Houston began in New York City uh, in 1987. We'd been married about four years, and we just, long story really short, we went on a, a week-long mission trip to New York City and worked in the all sorts of neighborhoods, Bedford-Stuyvesant and whatever and Brooklyn and, and Manhattan and so on and so forth and I remember one day we were uh, on a street in Manhattan and uh, I looked across the street and there was a homeless guy sitting on the sidewalk there leaned up against the building and a guy walked up and the homeless man stuck his paw hand out for money and this guy I don't know if he had just had too many people ask him that day or whatever but he literally started beating mm. this homeless man up and just blood coming out of his nose. And that was like a, you know, a stake in our heart right there to be involved. It was like a grace from that moment that God gave us to be involved with the homeless lives. And, and we started coming to Houston in 1994 after meeting an HIV AIDS minister. I don't know if you guys know about the Montrose area, but for years it was really just the seat of the, the gay and lesbian community, the HIV AIDS issue and that type of thing. And we got introduced to him uh, in 1994, before we even moved to Houston in 98. And uh, we got in introduced to the streets of Montrose. That's how my wife learned how to chase drag queens. And she says, it's not too hard to chase a man in heels, right? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, that, that began just, and we took 14 trips in and out of Houston before we moved here 
1998 from 94 to 98, just running the streets of Montrose with young people and witnessing uh, the crowd there. And, and uh, in 1998, we moved here, started working more consistently in the, at, in the streets, just running the streets of Montrose. And then in uh, 2001, 21 years ago in February, uh, I get a call from Pastor Mark LaCrone, who uh, had a, a house church there, and he, he said, I think you guys might be interested in joining in this Bible study that Preacher Joe, some of you guys at Street, have come to Street Church, Joe Williams, had started. And we, we just said yes, and we're kind of like the rude guests that never left. <laughs> and, uh, and that began a long term of who we are today. We started out in a house church with six or eight street kids feeding them hot dogs, M&Ms, and hot chocolate. That's what they asked for. And, uh, and then now today, you know, it's an outside event where we, we have a street church outside. And uh, we have, instead of feeding hot dogs, M&Ms, and hot chocolate, we get Kroger chicken sometimes from Dick and Betty in your church. <laughs> Uh, and we have 25 different local churches that are involved with us at, on street church nights. And so that's kind of the history of it. Yeah. And, that's, well, and, and if you haven't been out there, if you've been to Montrose Street Ruth with one of our teams, you just put your hand up in the air if you've been out. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty awesome. You guys are, are, are amazing. When you go out, it, it's, it's not just, and there's no such thing as just a worship service. I mean, there's definitely a time of worship, a time of preaching of the word, an opportunity to respond in that as well. But they're showing Christ's love through getting out clothes and, and things like that, through having time sitting down with someone in that meal. And, and we've gotten to experience just the the joy of serving God that way ourselves on a few occasions. But I know for you, that that's your life thread. And so, Martin, I was thinking about this when Scott and I were talking. Is there a story, I know there's many stories, but is there a story that just comes to your heart pretty quickly? When you think about, man, I know God is moving in this place because at this point, I'll never forget it. Well, there's many, many of them, but one of them that comes to mind is a few years, probably three years ago, maybe two years ago, um, we do street church in Montrose on Thursday nights, but we also go out on the streets on Friday nights and Tuesday, Wednesdays at the Greyhound bus station. And uh, one night on a Friday night, which we, we get flyers out on Friday night inviting people to come to street church. And so anyway, we met a guy named Christopher Williams, the African-American young man and just a, a gentle soul, but messed up on drugs. And, and one of the street pastors just started ministering to him and he challenged him to get in a program. And he had, he had one semester left to finish Texas Tech University and he had just left it all and gone to the streets. Well, that young man enrolled in Strong Tire Ministries just south of here in Hitchcock, Texas and is completely clean and sober. Wow. And today he is their IT guy and he actually manages all three of our websites for us today. Isn't that cool? Amen. Amen. And he's working on finishing his degree at Texas Tech as well. That's incredible. Yes. That's, and I know Goodness that's of one of many because when you said Friday, I thought I know three or four stories of what God has done just walking the streets, passing out flyers yes. through your team. And, yeah. and, and church, as, as you walk through this, there's not ever enough time. We could spend up here all day there's not ever enough time to know in a setting like this but but what's been amazing about martin and his wife is that they rain or shine this is their calling in life and it's a calling that you guys have it's almost like you've been the tip of the spear in many ways to allow believers in churches all over houston to to learn how and to get involved with sharing the good news 
spiritually, physically, vocally, in all kinds of ways. And, and I know that the boldness that comes with that, man, it, you stink like it is what I would say to some of my friends. You, you, you do, that God has just given you that peace in your heart and that love for them. And so uh, I, in, after church, you'll want to find out more about this ministry. But, but Martin, as we kind of, kind of have to wrap up our moment here, what are some ways that we can be praying with you? And if you're a writer downer, it's the time to have your pen out now or pull your phone out. We don't think you're texting in this moment during the sermon, I do. But right now, we don't. But, but Martin, how can we be praying for, for you and for Montrose Street Reach? Well, you know, we've, uh, I think we're 843 people that we've rescued off the streets in the last 22 years, which is remarkable and in, in just God stuff, you know. And so obviously, we want more people rescued off the, off the streets, but we also want more people to give their souls to Jesus. And we... We pray for the north, south, east, and west, especially for the prodigals, because many of the guys on the streets, uh, they can quote the Bible better than I can, but they're just lost in their ways, you know, and we want those to become part of the army of God, you know, in the world today. Uh, we want souls, um, laborers in the harvest field, Luke 10 and 2, I pray it every morning. God send us more laborers in the harvest field. Uh, we need that. Um, and then uh, just for the glory of God to rest on that parking lot, 1206 Lovett Boulevard. Write it down. Thursday night, 6 o'clock, we're there at 1206 Lovett Boulevard. If you want to pray for us every Thursday night, that would be a great uh, thing for us to have happen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for that. Greg, I see you out there. Greg, can I invite you up for a minute here? With just, I didn't tell you I was doing this, so you're welcome. Greg Hawkins is our connection to Martindale. He helps coordinate that. Would you welcome Greg this morning? He doesn't know what's in store for him. This is really good. Um, I didn't know either. I know, you're welcome. Greg, would you just put your hands on Martin with me? And can we just pray over what God is doing and the requests in church? Would you join me in that this morning? Father God, Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, I know in just a few minutes that it's impossible to tell the overwhelming story of what you are doing through this ministry, God. And, and Father God, I pray that this moment would whet our taste for more. Lord, just like all of these moments combined, whet our taste for eternity with you. Uh, Father God, we know it's not a selfish desire that we want many friends, many new faces to join us in our community for all eternity, God, because it's your desire. And so, Father, we praise you for those lives that have been rescued. Father, we praise you for the lives that you've changed because of the gospel being shared in a way that your kindness has led them to repentance, but your truth has been shared in those moments. And so, Lord, would you just allow more and more men and women, Lord, even boys and girls on the street, Lord, to surrender all that they are to you. And they might find their way to the cross of Jesus Christ and know the life that stands with you. Lord, continue to bless Martin. Continue to bless this ministry and allow us to just be a part of your good work for your glory, God, and for you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you all for being with us, man. Amen. I feel like we've already been to church and the preaching hasn't started yet. If some of you are worried, welcome to First Baptist. We're glad you're here today. 
Uh, today is such a good day. Omar and I sat down on Monday and we said, this is going to be like what you should feel like after your Thanksgiving meal. Like you ate a little too much and a little too short a time. Amen. And so we, we are excited about that. We are going to be taking the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today. And during our time of invitation at the end, um, I would tell you, if you didn't get some of those elements, that that's a great time to sneak out to any of our entrances and get those things. But, but the reason that Martin does what he does and the reason why we do what we do is not simply to make this place a better place. I would tell you that the, the crumbs that fall from the table of chasing the eternity that Jesus Christ has promised to us, that's what we're dealing with on this side of the cross, on this side of eternity. And we've been talking about that as a church family, what eternity is going to be like, what heaven is going to be like. And even today, I was laughing. I told our staff, I feel like I could make this sermon into 14 weeks of study because it's so beautiful to think about what we will do with God for all eternity. And all the answers aren't in scripture. Why? Because we can't handle it. All we can handle is the crumbs. So if you're all right, we're going to jump in and talk about the crumbs that fall from the table of our Lord that whet our appetite for the banquet. Is that okay? We're doing it a little bit different today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. We're going to kind of hang out there, but we are literally going to be all over the, the scripture today. And so... Um, as we go through that, normally we like to camp out in one passage and tear it apart. Uh, today, we're going to use this passage as our umbrella for understanding some of these other things as we walk through that. And I hope you walk away from today's message hungry for more, not feeling satisfied because the reality is, is that what I will share with you about eternity falls short. Because what God has in store for us is beyond, beyond what we can see, hear, or think. And I'm excited about that. Now, we, we talked about this passage in Revelation, but each week I told you I want to hit a question that tends to be near and dear as we talk about heaven. And this week is no different. And so over the next few minutes, I just want to walk with you about the question. A lot of people ask, and we want to wrap our hands around, is, is there marriage in heaven? Is there marriage for all eternity? Will I be married for all eternity? I, I, I want to unpack this with you, and we'll get to the answer at the end instead of the beginning. Normally, I'm a bad surprise person. I just tell you the answer, and then I tell you how we got there. Today, I want to go the other way because this is important. Because marriage is so sacred because it is a crumb that whets our appetite for heaven. And sometimes that crumb, we can start to think, is the cornerstone of heaven. And, and it's not. If you were to think about marriage and why God created marriage and why it exists, you could look all the way back to the garden in chapter 2 and chapter 1. We see a few things of why God created marriage in heaven. First of all, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and following, the Lord says that Adam was in the garden and he was alone. And he said, I need to find a helper suitable for him. The word helper means complement in the idea of completion. In other words, he needs some fullness to him. And so it says he goes through naming all the animals and it doesn't happen. And so God creates Eve, a woman, and gives them to him, to her, one another, as husband and wife. And two became one flesh. And so we know that, that God gave us 
our marriage covenant as a way for us to know a fullness that we do not know outside of a perfect redeemed relationship with the Lord. So first of all, we know God gave us our marriage covenant for a completion, a, a whole. Now, the second thing, the reason that God says he created marriage is found in Genesis chapter one and verse 28. In verse 28, after he makes man and woman, he says, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth, right? It doesn't say be fruitful and abuse. It doesn't say it all belongs to you. It just says, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and to subdue the earth. In other words, I want you to populate the earth. And so we know that marriage is given in Genesis at the very beginning for those two purposes, for the idea of completion and the idea of, pro, of procreation. I was going to say population. I guess that works too. Of procreation, of filling something out. So, so how does that look on the other side of eternity? Well, Scripture is filled with references of the bride and the groom. Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 says that the, the lamb has his bride made ready for her. You see, believers all throughout scripture will find over and over and over that God has prepared the church and that he is our bridegroom. We see in Matthew those images a lot. We, we hear the words of Jesus saying that in eternity, our fullness, every individual will be fully complete because of their full relationship with our creator. In other words, there won't be anything missing where it's complete. I used to laugh and say, I could tie my shoes before I got married. I think that was a lie because I lived with my mom and my dad until I got, I don't think I could ever tie my shoes. I think I've always needed someone else to complete me. But in heaven, scripture says over and over and over that he's the bridegroom to the bride. And so there, that need won't be there. The second thing that we have to look at is, is procreation. Does heaven need repopulating once we get there? Well, the Lord says, the scripture says, the Lord is patient, right? He's patient in his returning. Why is he patient? So that the full number can come in. So that every name, every life that he desires, every, every hand he's reaching out to, so that they will have time to come, so that they can join him forever. And so what God shows us in his word is that heaven doesn't need repopulating and God's definition of full is the word complete. So in heaven, the full number of people will be there and it won't need repopulating. And so when we see those two things, we start to see how the shadow that we live in, that, that it points us to the truth of eternity, but truth of eternity is so much fuller and more complete than that. And so Sadducees, if you were to look in your Bible at uh, Matthew chapter 22, I'll give you that reference later. I deleted it when I was trimming my notes out. When you're looking at that full number in scripture, what you'll see is this, that the Sadducees come up to Jesus and they say, listen, we have a question for you. There's a woman and she was married to a man and they didn't have any children. So she got married again, trying to have children to his brother. But he died before they had another child. 
And so then she married his brother. And this happened seven times. My first thought was, I'm the seventh brother. I'm like, I'm out. I don't know what you're feeding them, but it's not working. But they say this to trap Jesus. And they say, when you get to heaven, whose wife will she be? And Jesus says, well, A, we all know Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees, you don't believe in eternity. You don't believe in life after death. So I know you're making up a question about something you don't even believe in. So I got you, I see you. But secondly, this is what I want you to know. You don't know what you're talking about because what you're picturing is a trap that when she goes to heaven, there's seven guys waiting to brawl in the land of perfection for this bride. He says, in heaven, you are not married nor given to married to be married because you will be like the angels and like the angels doesn't mean you become an angel but but angels are created beings they don't procreate and make new angels to present to God for service they are holy focused fully solely focused on him and so Jesus tells us in his own words that in heaven to these goobers who were asking a question there's a real answer that God brings completion to our self and to our relationship that's beyond what we can think, dream, or imagine. And so there isn't heaven, marriage in heaven, but that doesn't mean there aren't relationships. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, I'll keep pushing back to this, says this, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now check this, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known fully. If you look in scripture, when the Mount of Transfiguration happens, the disciples who haven't met Elijah and Moses, they know that's Elijah and Moses with Jesus. I think scripture is very clear. When you and I die, we are made whole. We aren't brainwashed, wiped clean, and start, start fresh. You have been made new. God has already separated your sins east from the west. In heaven, I don't think there's any scriptural basis that points to an insane thought that you and I are gonna have our minds scrubbed and we will have no relational bonds in heaven. I don't, think it believe, I don't believe it exists. In fact, I think it's, there's a fullness I think we, we look at scripture and we see that we are gonna know one another fully, that we're, gonna, that we're gonna be warm, giving warm welcomes to people that we've never known and we're gonna be giving many warm welcomes to people that we have known. I believe wholeheartedly in scripture that when I see my wife in heaven, that she will be one of the first people that I hug for the glory of God, knowing this, is, this was my bride. I'm so glad to see you here. I believe when my children run or when I run to them, it will be to the glory of God. I'll just be so glad you're, I, I won't be like, oh, you are my child? No one told me. God must have erased my mind. That's unbiblical. This mind scrubbing stuff. So I do think that I will know you and you will know me, but we will know each other even more than our pasts have gotten us excited about. So don't be afraid that when you go to heaven, it's like moving schools in junior high and being the new kid and hoping that then someone's nice to you. Because I do think scripture is very clear about the relationships we're pouring into now are preparation for eternity. 
And so I believe wholeheartedly you'll know more about those you know currently than you ever thought possible. And God won't scrub your mind of the godliness. I just can't find it in scripture that he would do anything else. So be at peace in that. And guys, for some reason, we struggle with this more than girls. Other day I told Christy, I said, in my house in heaven, there's gonna be no Tupperware. She said, well, you can come visit any time because mine's gonna be full of it. (laughs) I will be happy to take it home and bring it back. And that really plays into what will we do in heaven? Because I think it's important to know these broken garbage pictures of eternity that men and women have drawn throughout the ages, that most of them lack that stench, that glory of eternity. And so go back to Revelation chapter five, verse nine and 10, just as our blanket. To me, this is the umbrella and it, it kind of shades everything else in a good way that we'll talk about. The Bible says this in verse 9 in Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God. From every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth and and don't miss those things because when we talk about heaven we we have if you're visiting us for the first day uh the first day we we talked about this when we talk about heaven now what we're talking about is the new heaven and the the new earth where there's no separation between God and us not this in between time but but I want us to kind of grasp for a second that passage a little bit more because it says that we are going to be priests in heaven. And, and a priest serves before the Lord. A priest does things that are of God. Revelation chapter 22 verse 3 says this. No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be it. And his servants will worship him. Now check this out. Here's what that means. That means that every act you do in heaven will be a spiritual act of service to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Everything that you do. Not just some things. Not just what you and I do on Sunday. But everything you do. And what I love about this is this is what God has said start practicing now Romans chapter 12 verse 1 listen to what it says present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual act of worship do you know what what the beauty of heaven is that God is teasing us he's he's it's, oh golly, my wife is a baker, all right? And when she's baking for y'all to come over at Christmas, our house smells incredible. And do you know it makes me excited for you to come over, not because you're coming over, <laughs> but because I get to taste what I'm smelling. 
What the Bible says is you and I living every moment, every breath, presenting ourselves, our parenting, our work, our driving to church, our serving at church, our, our caring for our neighbors, our loving our friends, our pouring into our young ones, whatever it be, all those things, let them be acts of worship to God. Why? Because in heaven, there will be nothing accursed. Everything that you do, everything will be in service to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, an act of worship. Y'all, to chase that thread, you won't mess anything up in heaven. You won't be a loser, a failure. You won't be envious because there won't be any action that you do that isn't a holy sacrifice to God that you wished you could be holier in. Mm. The Bible says that we have responsibilities because we're part of the kingdom. We're kingdom of priests. The, the verbiage in this passage of scripture comes back to this, that we will reign with him forever, that you and I will actually have responsibilities in heaven, but I want you to get ready for it. If you were to look back to the Garden of Eden, and that's what we're trying to link some of these things to, and we start thinking, what, are, what does that even look like? In Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 28 and following, this is what it says. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. And then it says, that's what you do, and this is what's going to be done. Have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, the birds of heaven, over every living thing that moves, we're going to reign. Verse 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, every tree, every seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, every beast of the earth, every bird of heavens, of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that is the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Just let your imagination run for a moment. In Genesis chapter three, it records the curse of our sin. Adam and Eve, we'd like to point the finger, but we're really great at ourselves. Relationships, you're gonna have trouble. Why? The Bible says the woman, you will strive for your husband. In other words, you will desire to make him secondary to you and men you want to rule over your wives you want to make her secondary to you relational discord but to the man he says now you're going to have to do hard work and strive against the soil strive against creation to provide for yourself to provide for family that's the consequence of sin, but everything accursed is removed. So check this out. When you and I rule and reign in heaven and the responsibilities give us are tied to working in creation with creation, nothing will work against you. Can you imagine planting and every seed that you plant doesn't hurt your hands because the ground is dry? Can you imagine it almost feels like creation wants you to succeed when you plant something new? C could you imagine the idea that when you, when you want to go out and God's given you a task to build something that the rains and the sun and the temperature, they always go along to help you enjoy it even more. 
I mean, yesterday we had the great day out and I thought at the beginning of the week, 80% chance of rain. This is no good. We're just living in fear all week because it's Texas. And on Friday, they say, it's not going to rain tomorrow, which we believed mostly. But then something happened about noon. Like the heavens opened up, the suns came out. It was the perfect weather for a great day out. In heaven, imagine that creation will cooperate with you. Every animal that is there that is used to help carry out the will of God, you don't have to fight it. There's no chasing lost pets, so to speak. I mean, can you imagine creation as it was supposed to be cooperating for the glory of God because everything brings him glory and you have the responsibility over the things God puts in your circle to lift up to him. Golly. Now, now check this out. Galatians chapter four, verse one through seven says this. It's a little bit longer passage of scripture, but I don't want you to miss it. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. Now check this verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but as a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here's the beauty of redemption. Just like one day, God will have all creation work in cooperation with him and give it a desire to do so. You and I have already tasted this. This is why creation longs for the return of God. Because when the saints are redeemed, when you and I are brought from life to death, then creation knows its day is coming. And church, in our life, you were a slave to sin. You couldn't imagine a different life, a better life. You were just trying to work that life to the best of your ability. But scripture says that God had a different plan in offering of his son so that those who would believe you're no longer a slave but you're a son. And quite honestly, sonship right now, it's totally free, but it has its limitations because we see as in a mirror dimly. The spirit comes and he teaches us and we wrestle with things of the law and things of the world. But a son and a daughter who are an heir will one day become heirs of the inheritance. And so I want you to know, even though you now are an heir, that there will be a day when the riches of God's inheritance fill every thought, fill every fist, fill every muscle. And that, and that is what we will work with. So I don't know what your job will be in heaven. I will tell you what I do know, that I will be out of a job. Because what scripture says is that we won't stop learning in heaven, but you won't need pastors. 
I'm really hopeful I'm useful for something else. I'm taking up woodworking right now, just in case. <laughs> but, but as we look at this, listen to what Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, and then Hebrews 10, 6 say, and we'll pull it together a little bit. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, and, and ra he raised us up with him, seated it with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, key. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Verse 10 of Hebrews, chapter 16, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 16 of Hebrews. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. You see, God will be the one giving instructions on holiness and creation and life and purpose and catch this. He will do that out of his immeasurable riches. He will keep revealing and revealing and revealing and revealing and revealing. For all eternity, you and I will be on the holiest chase, the holiest search searching, learning, and following, growing deeper and deeper in understanding of the one who can never be fully comprehended. There will never be a day where you learn it all and are like, that's good. I mean, I love that. No, if you're here today, I apologize for this. I love the people that are like, I don't have to go to Sunday school anymore because I've got it. Y'all, come on now. If in heaven... We're gonna learn from the Lord forever. Now, shouldn't we gather with believers? Shouldn't we huddle up and say, let's sing of the songs of Jesus. Let's tell of his wondrous love. Let's pursue him with all that we have. Why? Because I wanna be so hungry for learning from the creator God who writes it on my mind, who inscribes it on my heart. So don't be tempted to let the crumbs from the table distract you to think that's the feast and once you conquer the crumb, that's it. The crumb came from the banqueting table of the Lord. So you'll be learning, you'll be working in your church. I want you to know there is definitive truth. You will be eating and celebrating in heaven. Ah, what an idea. Revelation 19.9 says that the bride is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Matthew chapter 22 verse 2 begins a series where God is saying, let me talk about the kingdom of heaven. It's like this. How many times feasting at the table is a part of that picture? If you look in the Old Testament, if you look at the feasts and the festivals, what does God do? He says, you need to set about times in this life to party because of my name, to celebrate who I am, and I want you to delight in me I mean some of the most incredible feasts and festivals the people of God chose not to celebrate and suffered for it I mean I know every party has a pooper but don't let it be you in heaven in heaven scripture says that we will dine with the Lord that we will dine with him and that we will celebrate him forever.
In what we do, the works of our hands will celebrate God. In the fellowships that we have, we'll celebrate God. In the ways that we eat, I mean, just, oh my gosh, think about it. Scripture tells us again, 1 Corinthians 1.31 and then 1 Corinthians 10.31, say it this way. If, if you boast, boast in the Lord. That's 1.31. 10.31, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In the big picture of all of these things, church, that's what Scripture is telling us, that what we do will bring God glory. The, the, the ideas of the ways your minds can chase after God, it's so potent and so powerful. Every bite you take will bring God glory. That means if you struggle today with an eating disease, that will not exist. If you shame your body because of lack of self-control and food is a reminder of your sin, in heaven it will be a reminder of his glory. If you're a recluse because of the relationships you've destroyed, And you're worried in heaven, what if people know? Nothing accursed is allowed in. So every relationship will be sweeter than your mind can dream or imagine. So dream and imagine. Because what you and I will do in heaven will be holy and awesome. Everything will be just as our Lord designed it to be. So there will be no shame, just joy. And that promise is not made to all creation. You see, only one was worthy to open the scroll because he shed his blood for you, the Son of God. What scripture says in that through the blood of God, those who confess his name as Lord with their lips and they believe in him as the one who is able to rescue them from this body of death and they trust in his promise that they will be with him one day. If, if you do that, if that is your heart, if that is the truth that God has rested on you, then these promises are yours. And the promises of what you'll do if without God, that's a different day. But they all fall short. They'll all contain shame. And there will be no hope. But God made you for better things. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And it's a very special thing for us to do as believers. And if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, we invite you to take it with us this morning. But before we do that, we're just going to have a time of response and invitation. And so I just want to lead us in a prayer. And when that happens, our team will come up and lead a, a song and they'll sing over us. But scripture says, don't take the Lord's Supper in a way that's unworthy. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't take the Lord's Supper. That's unworthy. God loves you too much. He told you ahead of time. If sin has captured who you are, confess that sin to God. Lay it before him in this moment. And then let the redemption of God watch over you. Ooh, heaven will not taste like these stale crackers and, and cheap grape juice. But let 
dissemble what your appetite for what you know is to come. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, the reality of heaven can't be shoved into a few minutes, and I am so grateful for that. Lord, we tend to be a people who want to draw the box and have it filled up. But Father God, we can't draw a box big enough to even begin to contain a fraction of what you have prepared for those whom love you, who are yours, God, by the blood and the grace of your Son. And so, Father, this day and this moment at this time, Lord, we lay ourselves before you. As we prepare to to take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim your death until you return, Lord. Even it points to then. So let us take it in a way that's worthy. Confessing our sins, laying them at the cross. And Lord, if there's a man or woman, boy or girl in this room who does not know you, God, in this moment, let them come to your table and feast. In Jesus' name, amen.